Hi, you're listening to Melanie Mergen from the Vogue Gazette. Welcome to the very first episode of our new podcast in partnership with Right on the Park. 2021, 10 successful years of the historic Park Inn. Now 2021 marks the 10th anniversary of the completed restoration of Mason City's historic Park Inn Hotel. Joining us on this inaugural episode is Pat Schultz, who has been an executive director of Right on the Park and is a current member of its education committee. Welcome, Pat. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's fun to be here. So in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on Frank Lloyd Wright in Mason City. And I guess before we get into that, Pat, who is Frank Lloyd Wright? Wright is an amazing personality, and you could talk about him alone for hours. But he had started his career, um, actually his mother started his career when he was very young. She hung pictures of famous buildings all over his bedroom and and was determined that he was going to be um, an architect. She uh, bought him a set of of what's called gifts and occupations, which are the Froebel system of learning. And with it, you know, you form all kinds of things, build things. And so it's as though his mother sort of preset him on that, that track. As he went through school, uh, he went to the university for one year, but wasn't happy with that. And so he ended up going to Chicago. And he first apprenticed with one uh, architect there and then with Louis Sullivan, who is also one of America's greatest architects. He worked there successfully. He borrowed the money from Sullivan to build himself a house in Oak Park and was doing quite well when Sullivan decided, learned that he was moonlighting, that he was also uh, designing some buildings and getting paid for them outside of the firm of Sullivan. And so he got fired. Well, he decided what he was going to do was start his own um, architectural firm, and he did. And um, he expanded his home in Oak Park to include a studio and, and you know, an architectural um, area where he could work. And young people began to gravitate toward him and come to study and work with him there. By the time he would come to Mason City, he had established a pretty good reputation there. Married, he had a number of children, and he had just designed Unity Temple in Oak Park, which is among one of his best-known buildings. And he was becoming known for his philosophy and his new style of designing. His Part of it he learned from Louis Sullivan, but what he believed was that America needed to stop copying European architecture and develop an architecture of its own. And that a building should reflect both its use and its environment. It should fit into the area where it was going to be. And later we would come to call that prairie style because what what it would mean, he was designing primarily for the Midwest, the low flat prairie. And he felt that buildings should reflect that. 
And so they were low and low to the ground, made of natural materials. And he felt the building should reflect its purpose. So something about that building should reflect if it was going to be a room, a church, you know, whatever, or a bank, whatever it was going to be. So, so he was pretty, pretty well known by the time he came to Mason City. He was in Mason City as early as probably 1906. That's a guess, all right. Um, but he was invited to come to Mason City for a unique reason. The president of the bank at the time was a woman. How about that? Okay, 1906, the president of the bank in Mason City was a woman. It was the City National Bank. She and her husband, Thomas Emsley, had started the bank, but he had died, unfortunately. And uh, she had gone ahead and stayed. They had started the bank when they were young uh, in a small building. She was the head cashier and he was the president. That was it. Then they had progressed enough to have a new building built. Uh, today, that building is Mormon's Colliers, right there on, on Federal. It was some of the first local limestone quarried by Denison, who had become a really well-known name in Mason City as well. But Mary Emsley had remarried. Adams was her new last name. But she and her family were Unitarians. And because they were Unitarians, they were good friends with Lincoln Lloyd-Jones, who was Wright's uncle, and her granddaughters, the daughters of J.E.E. E. Markley and her own daughter, attended the Hillside Home School in Spring Green, Wisconsin. And that was run by Frank Lloyd Wright's aunts. And so they had been there to visit, and Wright had designed the school where the girls went to school. They had even met Wright there. And so Mary and her son-in-law suggested to what by then was a board, the bank had grown big enough to have a board of directors, said, well, what about Wright? Let's, let's talk to him and see if he would be interested in coming to Mason City and, and designing a bank. And, and that's how he happened to get here, was through that Unitarian connection, which is, is an unusual way of, of things happening, I guess. But it wasn't the first thing he did in Mason City. Uh, while he was here, he met Dr. George Stockman and his wife, Eleanor, and they had been planning to build a new house. And George had been looking at various architects. He met Wright, and his wife had seen in, I think it was, it was either Ladies Home Journal or, or one of those magazines, a design that Wright had published called the $5,000 Fireproof House. And it was, had caught Eleanor's attention. And they decided to ask Wright to design a home for them. And that was much easier than designing what the bank wanted, because this is what they were asking Wright. And when you think about it, it's, it's huge. They wanted a bank to replace the City National Bank. They wanted law offices for the firm of J.E. Markley. Remember, he's, he's on the board of directors and he's married son-in-law. They wanted um, a hotel 
they felt that Mason City had a need for a new upscale hotel. They wanted office space for rent and they wanted retail space for rent. All of this together. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a mall before there were malls. Uh, uh, they were looking to have designed. And it must have briefly been a challenge for Wright because Wright believed that a building should, the way a building looked should reflect its usage. Well, here he has all of these different things that he has to take into consideration. I like to joke that it may have bothered Wright for a moment when he believed that the building should reflect its use, but probably not for very long. In case you haven't heard much about Wright, his ego was as big as his talent. And uh, I think he pretty much felt he could undertake anything. And so he did agree to go ahead and develop a design for the new bank. But meanwhile, he brought the design for the Stockmans and their house was built and in place well before the bank uh, designs were even completed. Today, that house is not where it was originally, where we know the Stockman house when you go down State Street. It was originally very close to the Methodist Church and it was moved when the Methodist Church wanted that land for something else. And ultimately, River City Society for Historic Preservation took over the move and the renovation of the Stockman House, which is now open to the public. So that happened first before the bank happened. Driving by that house where it is now, you would never guess that it had at one point never been there before. It, looked, it gives the impression that it's always been there. Didn't they choose a wonderful location for it? Yeah, I think so too. And, um, you know, it's, it's such fun to take a tour. And when you're in it, you know, they tell you all about all the designs that make it uniquely prairie style and that, that were, were really um, um, very, very much his ideas. And of course, today it's right next to the Interpretive Center named for Bob McCoy, who was one of the, of the people who really worked hard to, to get things to happen in Mason City and with the architecture by Wright. And um, you can learn a lot there too about Wright and his designs. So Wright came to Mason City and he brought with him his plans. They had chosen for a location right across the street from where the, the bank was at that time. And, you know, we're still on the most important corner in Mason City you know, the corner of, of state and federal. And they had heard, this is one of the fun parts. They had heard that Charles McNider was planning to build a new bank on the corner uh, across Kitty Corner from where they were planning to build. And they wanted to get it done before he did. But they had heard about his design and it was going to be the, what is the First National seven, seven stories or whatever. Well, they weren't going to build um, a skyscraper like uh, McNider was planning. They were going to build something unique and original and they wanted to get it done before McNider because there was considerable competition going on there between the two. 
So it was, it was that way. And so that's how they advertised it, is that it was going to be this new unique design by this young architect who was becoming famous. And uh, he indeed did finally bring his plans. Now, before the bank was built there from Wright's designs, it was a corner that Mason City wasn't very happy with. What was there was called the Yellow Spot Cafe. And it was a wooden building that had been there for quite some time. And it was a wreck, you know, and they talked about the rotting floor and how glad they were going to be to get rid of that eyesore on the main corner there in Mason City. So, um, but they got not only the corner where it was, but then they bought west of there as well. So they had more land than, than just the yellow spot. So in April uh, 10, that was torn down and Wright's plans had arrived just in time and they had approved them and they were ready to go to, to build this unique very school of style structure that, that would be a part of Mason City. And the timing really is important because at this point, Mason City's growth had been phenomenal. You know, we now had cement plants. We had the brick and tile company. Denison, who did the brick and tile company, had actually invented the whole concept of farm tile. And that was revolutionary for farmers to be able to farm land that, you know, had been too wet before. And Denison was growing his company right then to be the largest producer of farm tile in the whole world. And the cement plants were, were starting and the, there was a sugar beet plant and you know, a meat packing plant. And there were five passenger trains a day coming into Mason City, plus you know, freight trains. And it looked like Mason City was on its way to becoming one of the leading cities in the state of Iowa. So it was really an exciting time for this to be happening. And so, as I said, Wright designed it and he chose one of his many other architects that were there in Oak Park working with him to come and supervise. His name was William Drummond. And so Drummond would be the person who would design the bank. Well, before the uh, whole bank was done, Wright created this huge scandal by leaving his wife and running off to Europe with the wife of a former client. Wright's name was not any longer as well respected as it had been. People were, were quite scandalized by what he had done. And so as far as we know, Wright never came back to see the completed building. So that's, that's interesting because Drummond you know, was the one who finished it and, and was there. But right on the park and, and our architectural firm, you know, Berkland and Graham, I have copies of the original drawings of Wright for the building. And it was built very much according to Wright's designs. Uh, if Drummond changed much, it's not apparent because the drawings are very specific 
and and that's what was built. Wright went on while he was in Europe in Germany to publish uh, a portfolio of his known works up until that time. And this building in Mason City is one of them that's featured in what's called the Vosmuth portfolio, which um, Wright had published at that time. And so the building became pretty famous really because of that. It also marked the end of his preschool period. And so it's one of the last of the true preschool buildings that, that he um, built or designed. When he came back from Europe, he built at Spring Green, which was his maternal family's home location, built for himself Taliesin. So when he came back from Europe with Maima Cheney, the woman he had gone to Europe with, he built a home for them at Spring Green, Wisconsin. And Spring Green was his, his maternal family's main location. They owned a lot of farmland there. They were, were major um, Unitarians. The school that his aunts ran was there. Um, he ended up designing a home there for his sister and um, many kinds of things. Believe me, a trip to Spring Green to see Taliesin is well worth it because it is remarkable. And it is more prairie style. But uh, while he was there, he was having trouble getting jobs because you know he was still living the effects of the scandal. And um, he did get a big commission to um, do some work in Chicago. And while he was off in Chicago uh, working on Midway Gardens, which was that big project, a servant at Taliesin went berserk and he um, set fire to it. And Maima Cheney had her two children there with her and he took an ax and he murdered Maima Cheney and her two children and had set fire to the place. By this time, had a pretty large studio there and a number of uh, young architects there studying with him. Some of them were able to climb out windows and escape, but a couple were killed as well. And so Wright gets the news, of course, that he, um, his home has been destroyed. The love of his life is, is dead. You can imagine the kind of, of devastation that he faced at that point. Oh, yeah. And there's some wonderful books written about it. Um, there's a um, nonfiction book called Death in a, a Prairie House. And there's a wonderful nonfiction book about it as well. Uh, we had the speaker who wrote that in, um, in Mason City. Uh, the name of the book is Loving Frank. And so, uh, you know, there's this big to do and uh, life goes on. He marries another woman. He begins to get more and more commissions again and, and things start going very well. But the, he finally gets his divorce from Catherine, but the woman that he marries is an alcoholic and a drug addict. 
and their life together is pretty much of a nightmare. And so he ends up divorcing her. Um, he goes on building, uh, you know, this is the period where, where some of his best known things are, are being erected. And then he meets another woman. And she, Ola Gavana, is a Russian dancer um, with some kind of strange ideas about how life should be lived. But um, she didn't want to live. He had rebuilt Taliesin, but she didn't want to live where Maima Cheney had been. And so they built Taliesin West in Scottsdale, Arizona. And he would go on designing until he was in his 90s. Wow. And of course, you know, his most famous buildings, the Guggenheim Museum um, is one of them. Uh, you know, there are so many. I think, I'm trying to remember, something like 500 of his designs are known. It's either 500 are known or 500 of all of his designs were actually built. I'm not sure which it is. But um, of course, the most famous and the one that really propelled him back into uh, being known as America's greatest architect was Falling Water. And again, if you've never seen Falling Water, it's the most incredible home I, I've, I've ever walked into. Just absolutely amazing. How would you describe it? Oh, well, it's built over water. All right. And so a waterfall goes down from the house and the house is fit into the side of the hill. And, you know, this waterfall goes down it. And um, just above the waterfall is an extension that goes out and there's a swimming pool that you can walk down to. And, and then of course, the, the building itself with the, uh, all of the normal rooms, kitchens and living rooms and, and all of that. It's, it is just, I mean, it, it, to me, it is one of the most amazing buildings ever built in the United States. Um, you start walking up to it and, and because you do, you have to walk up a hill to get up to it, to tour it. And you, you, your mouth just falls open. It's just that absolutely incredible. And uh, the Guggenheim is one of his more unusual uh, buildings. It's a wonderful building, but you wonder, I have not been there. And I wonder how they have managed to hang the artwork in what is essentially a round, layered round building. But someday I'll get there and find out. Um, I have been to Taliesin West as well, out in the desert, and it's, it's quite amazing. While he was there, he established um, a, an architectural school. It attracted a lot of people, but his idea of, of running a school was somewhat unique. If, if you went to his school, you, you had to pay him, of course, but you also had to um, be able to cook, oh, play music, um, weed the garden, plant. Uh, you know, he considered all of those apprentices who came there 
to be at his beck and call for anything. And, but he would also have these big parties with plays put on and, and big musical things. He loved music. His father had been a musician, even though he and his father were never close. His parents had divorced when he was quite young. Um, and so all kinds of things went on. When he died, according to his wishes, he was taken back to Taliesin and buried there. Olegavana was not happy with that situation because he was buried not all that far from the grave of Maima Cheney, which sits under a tree there on the grounds at Taliesin. And so in, in her, I think, I don't remember if it's in her will, but eventually she had him dug up and buried with her. Um, but she was a, a story all into her, herself. Um, and, but his life was, was crazy. Um, he, he was terrible financially. He couldn't manage his money for anything. Um, he had a passion for expensive cars. Um, he had a passion for Japanese uh, woodblock printing and bought lots of expensive uh, woodblock printing. And sometimes he would try to pay people he owed money with those woodblock printings instead of, of cash. A lot of people that he had worked with were a little alienated from him because they didn't get paid. Um, you know, he, he was just not good at that. Fortunately, Ola Gavana was better at it than he was and probably did a little bit better job keeping things financially in line. But during this time, they developed what was called um, the Frank Lloyd of Wright Fellowship. And this was their closest friends, the architects who worked with them most closely. And um, it, it still exists today, except most of the original members are no longer living. But there are younger architects who the school kept going long after Wright's death and, and still exists. And the idea it was a funny, funny way they did it. They would work in the architectural studio in Scottsdale in the winter, and then they would pack everything all up and move up to the studio in Spring Green for the cooler summer and then do it all over again. But um, the school has now split from Taliesin and it's, it's kind of up in the air what is, is happening with it. But there are still members of the fellowship who uh, can, went to school there and learned their architectural skills there. And, and so it still exists. It's sort of controversial. Um, there are some scandals involved with what may or may not have happened within the fellowship but I'll, I'll leave that for people to read books about the fellowship. It's, it's an amazing story all on its own as well. You know, today he is known as America's greatest ever architect. Um, some people might argue that, but he still seems to maintain that title. And so having two of his buildings in Mason City is, is um, unique, it gives us sort of a, a special place in the Frank Lloyd Wright world. 
Um, he was, Frank Lardwright was arrogant. He could be a real jerk, but his talent was unquestionable. They, they joked, he joked that he could shake a design out of his shirt sleeve, you know, that, and because he would design that quickly. Um, and the stories that people tell about meeting him are, are both funny and, and um, sometimes serious and sometimes awful, you know, because he was not always polite. But his buildings are unique. Um, you know, the, the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation exists. And then there's also an organization called the Frank Lloyd Wright Building Trust, um, which works to be sure that his buildings are not destroyed. And that um, if one comes up for sale or is deeply in need of repair, um, that they can help raise the money and take some action to be sure that it's, it's preserved. Um, he influenced architecture for years. And I'm not going to talk about his design in Mason City of the City National Bank and what became the City National Bank and how he met all those things that they wanted to make it more than just the bank. Because I'm gonna leave that to somebody better qualified than I am to talk about it. Um, in our next episode, you'll hear Scott Borcherding. And Scott is uh, a designer with um, Berglund and Cram, who was very much involved with the, um, the whole process of the design, worked closely with Martha Huntington, who was the chief architect. And, and his stories about, you know, the design of that original building will be much more detailed and much better than, than I can give you. I think people will enjoy that enormously. Fra talking about Frank's life and his coming to Mason City is, you know, it's a fascinating story. Frank's life was a fascinating story. There have been a lot of books written about him, some um, deeply praising him and some uh, really tough on him. So it's, it's an interesting character, but I have to say that he gave Mason City a long lasting gift. I mean, people come today to tour it, to stay there. Um, we've had people from uh, over 50 different countries come to stay there. Uh, we've given, I don't know how many tours. Um, it's been a real added attraction to Mason City. So thanks to Mary Emsley Adams and her husband, Thomas, who started the first bank in a small building back in about 1875 in Mason City, continued to grow till they could build a new building uh, on the corner of state and federal. We can thank Mary Emsley and Thomas Emsley um, for coming to Mason City. When she first came before they were married, she taught, she, was, she came here to join her brother who was a judge and, and she saved enough money teaching to buy a hundred and some acres of land, which was very unusual for a woman of that time. 
She met Thomas Emsley, who was a Civil War veteran. Together, they first lived in a house with a dirt floor, and they continued to save money and buy land uh, until they could open their own bank. She died a very wealthy woman. She was a prominent suffragette. Um, she, she was one of 24 women from Iowa who are on a list in, in Washington, D.C., at the League of Women Voters building um, of one of the 24 women from Iowa who were most involved in the women's suffrage effort. So, you know, the story starts with them and, and then it picks up with, you know, her son-in-law and his law partner and bringing right to Mason City, the Stockman House, the plans coming and then the rest of Wright's crazy life. It is amazing just to think about how all this ended up turning what was considered an eyesore at that time in Mason City to one of, now today, probably one of Mason City's probably most important focal points. Yeah, yes, it is, it is amazing. And it's been a, a privilege for me to work through getting the thing restored, seeing the grand opening and, and working with the amazing things that have happened there since it, its grand opening. So this is a big year for us. You know, right on the park had to raise an amazing amount of money to get this done and, and it happened. Um, but the thanks go back to, to the accidental knowledge of Frank Lloyd Wright by a Unitarian Mason City family because their daughters went to the Hillside Home School. It's, you know, coincidence after coincidence ended up creating it here. And we are so grateful because we think this is something for truly Mason City to celebrate. Thanks for joining us, Pat. In this first episode alone, I already feel like I've learned so much. Great. Well, Thank you listeners for tuning in to this first episode of 2021, 10 successful years of the historic Park Inn. We'll be back next month to dive in once again to the fascinating history of the historic Park Inn here in Mason City. Until then.